1: The guest today, I can't wait to introduce you to her. She is not only a marketing executive, but a fellow adventurer and sci-fi fan. So many things to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about marketing for a few minutes. Um, so much to get to. Big into Agile, an Agile business leader. And she's been working in across different functional areas, right? We all got to get out of our silos. She's been in marketing, sales, product development. Big evangelist of discovery-based learning. CMO at alchemy technology. Holly Cerides, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, Casey, thank you so much for having me here. I can't think of a better way to start my, start my day.
1: Yeah, start the day, start the week. You got coffee, you get your Patriots mug, which, you know, immediately I saw that and was like, do. let's do this.
2: Yeah, and it's the throwback guy too. Right, right. I, I, love, I love this guy. Right, okay. like Throwback
1: Thursday logo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, this is our marketing leadership series. I'm so happy to have you on here. I know you're busy. So what I want to do is pass you this thing real quick. It's kind of heavy for me, but I'm pretty sure you got it. Ugh. Okay, here we yeah. go. Thor's hammer. You got it? I got it. I got right. it. Oh, look, yeah, one-handed, like a tennis racket. Look at that. So take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Just set the record straight once and for all.
2: Yeah, yeah. So this is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about, actually you know, I have spent you know my career in B2B marketing and in B2B products. And I often hear it said that, you know, there's no room for emotion in B2B marketing. And mm. that's where I, you know, I want to stand up right away and correct people. Well, at least I should say, you know, give them my opinion on this, that I would argue all day long that emotion and, you know, compelling storytelling is actually so much more important in B2B marketing than it is in, in consumer marketing. And and the reason for that is, you know, when you and I make a purchase in our everyday life, right? Like we don't we don't have to answer to anyone. Right. Right? We can we can make a stupid purchase and you know, what's the harm of that? Like, oh, okay, maybe it sits on the shelf, it gets thrown out or or whatever. Right. But I mean, you make a bad call, you know, when the stakes are higher in a B2B buying situation, whether it be, you know, at, with what type of, you know, enterprise software to purchase, what type of contracts to sign, like there's a lot of eyeballs on that and the stakes are higher. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the emotions that you're tapping into may be different. You know, where is it the consumer, you know, play then, okay, maybe yeah you're you're tapping into my, you know, spontaneity, my, you know, need to feel free and independent, you know, but on the B2B side, I mean, there's still very much like you need to make them feel safe. You need to make them feel smart, right? You, you know, in, in our world today, you want them to feel part of, a, a, you know, a supportive and a, a smart community, you know, of other customers and clients. So again, I would argue that, you know, you look at the best B2B companies out there and kind of take a step back and look at their messaging, look at their advertising, look at their campaigns. And they're, they're very emotional. So I get, I get very passionate about correcting people about that, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, with B2B, must just be all like features and functions. And I'm
0: mm. like,
2: yeah, if you stuck at it, I suppose, <laughs> right? Uh, if you really want nobody to remember, you know, what makes, uh, you know, you different and what makes you the best solution for their problem. Sure. Go that way all day long.
1: Oh, man, this is so huge. It, it, you know, when you are first talking about this, I was thinking like the lovey-dovey emotions, but you brought up the, fa- the fear factor, which is, yeah. man, if you make a bad business buying decision, not only have you made it and you get the heat, but it's probably a year-long contract. So there's 12 more, there's 11 more months that you can get, oh, wh- what is this in the budget? Oh, that thing. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Casey. Thanks for making yeah. that call. We're going to have to live with it for the next year. You know, or more. Thanks. So th- there is that fear and that sense of what if I mess up, and there's so much more visibility. So all kind of emotions at play here. Why? Why do people think that you shouldn't? Why are they trying to make it like devoid of all these feelings?
2: Well, I think you know, if you look at still kind of tapping into, you know, you see these different, you know, pyramids, if you will, of these value systems. You are. You know, again, it's got to it's suit your product and your solution. But if, yeah, if you're, if you're playing at a commodity level, okay, then it's, yeah, it's going to be more of a straight old ROI. You know, this is the minimum specs that I need, you know, and now it's going to become a cost issue. So th- there is that world, but still, mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can still do, you know, business innovation around how you, you know, help them with, with other needs and other emotions. But as you start, you know, kind of climbing that value chain, then yeah, you know, the stakes get higher in terms of, you know, what people, what people expect from you and that you are going to make them, them smarter. You're going to help their career. You know, there's a, there's a whole, you know, host of marketers that have, you know, added to their value by becoming either, you know, Salesforce certified at different levels, Mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever ABM platform that they want to use, whatever, you know, so as a professional, right, building my career too, I want to, I want to keep on, you know, being associated and and upping my skills with these things. And don't think that Salesforce doesn't use that right as part of its whole value proposition.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, it's all, and I want to get into the skills in, um in a second too, because you're right. There's there's so, there's so much you need to do and, and stay up with things. Um, to go back to the emotions for just a second, um, it, it's almost like the emotions. Without emotions, it's safer. Like you can understand it; it's more logical. But then, really, there's a sort of illogical, irrational, like the book, you know, irrational buying that happens, and it's not—it's not as easy to predict, or you, it doesn't fit a funnel all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I would argue you can almost look at it like this: if we, you know, kind of more of economic theory, that you know there is a, a minimum you know, there, there, there's value created with your solution and there's value yeah. created with your competitor's solution. So let's pretend like they're all, right, uh, you know, let's just level set them. And that where you're going to get that surplus margin, you know, I could make a strong argument that it comes from that emotion.
0: Mm. Yeah. That it
2: comes from that that brand and what is associated with, you know, buying into that. You know, there's a saying somewhere, you know, that goes around the way of, uh, you know, you wanna choose a you wanna choose a, a, a business based on the on the customers that they have, right? Because that's how you're gonna be identified as well. Now again, I'm talking at that kind of the, the higher end of, of the playground, if you will, where things sure. like brand and you know uh premium margins, you know, do come into play.
1: I can see that happening though, because I've certainly joined a bunch of sales calls where two competing products were they weren't on this line at the same time, but they might as well have been because they were all just debating features. And I, and I feel like I just saw a recent LinkedIn post where someone was like, what's the difference between Marketo and Pardot, you know, and you see a lot of features and functions, but like, that's not really in the end, their features and functions are very close and similar. And it's like, that's, you're not going to win your battle you may be, but like, that's a really hard battle. Like, Oh, we have this. And some of is like, well, we have this. And it's like nitty gritty. It, that's it's, there's a feeling. How, how do I feel? Does this user group feel good? Does this, to your point, the user community, part users, Marketo users, like how do they act? Who, it, all those other feelings right. that come into play.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I think as a, as a marketer, you know, that's that situation, one of the smartest things you could probably do is right. Cause people, you know, People, people are pretty good at calling BS too. (laughs) You know, you call it and you say, Hey, you know, we're you know, it's a great product. We're a great product. You know, maybe there's these, you know, couple of differences in how we look at the world and how that infiltrates, you know, our product strategy. But here's where, you know, we really excel, right? We really excel because of, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, in some combination of how we view and invest in our community. Right. How we respond, you know, uh, faster than the other guys, you know, when you need us the most. It's it's that kind of stuff. And that's that, you know, emotion that we were talking about of making that uh, B2B buyer feel like, you know, that little safety, you know, blanket that. okay, yeah. Unexpected stuff happens in the world. I don't know exactly what roadmaps are going to look like two years from now, but I feel confident making this bet on on you because of all this other intangible stuff.
1: Reminds me of like those weighted blankets you can get where they're just yeah. like like a big bear hug, you know, saying like in your opponent, your competition has like a tarp. You're like, okay, there you go. keeping the rain off, but I don't really feel that secure. Someone else is like, here's this heavy, this heavy, you know, tarp, this heavy weighted blanket. And you're like, oh, I actually feel more secure. Are you able, is this like, is it voodoo? How do you get this into your marketing strategy? You know, like where, what part does it play?
2: yeah um, you have to go all the way back to now this gets into kind of core positioning of, of your company, and it's certainly you know, and this goes back to just like good good positioning, right Good positioning, good good messaging, and that emotion is a, a big pillar of that. but you know, the whole organization has to move like, I mean think of it think of it as you and I move, you know, if we're going to throw a ball, right we don't just right with our wrist, you know, right. it, it's right. got to be, it's going to be wind the, full, up and,
1: yeah. exactly,
2: the full motion, unless it's my golf swing. And then it might just be like a one ugly hack at it. Uh, right. But you know, but I not would miss
1: like, either. Well, it looks good, but I didn't hit the ball.
2: <laughs> right. So it is, it's, it's a time consuming methodical journey of how you kind of dust off the whole positioning and messaging of the company so that every every part of what you do and everyone who speaks on your behalf is, is always running from that same script. Or otherwise, you know, I mean, in our noisy, crowded world, first of all, it's just not going to come across. Like you and I having this one conversation, for instance, in me making the best case I could say for my solution and in, in, in painting you a beautiful tale of, right, all the emotion, all the story, you're the hero, we're helping you, all of that. If I'm the only one doing it, all right, it's going to get lost. So, like I said, first rule is that you have to make it crystal clear for everybody in your organization to be able to to tell that tell that same story. So, you know, companies will do things like messaging platforms, you know, uh, messaging architecture, and and training people up on that. And then you have to make sure that that is cascaded across everything that you do. Right. So whether it's right. obviously all your corporate comms, but then all the way down into your your product marketing as well. Uh, your, your services right? and how you're talking about your services. Because again, if you're keying in on you know a single emotion, everything should go to to support that according to everything that the, the customer is going to feel along the way.
1: Got it. So whatever of that global message is, it could be, to your point, a feeling you're trying to convey. There's safety here. There's solution here. There's success here. Some, you need that to cascade whatever that message is down to everyone that that whatever mission you're on or whatever story the company has everyone's got to know it and play a part and be able to even just share their piece of it
2: exactly exactly otherwise otherwise it doesn't work otherwise then it is just you know window dressing and a a convenient message of the moment
1: right like a big placard on an office wall saying like 14 core values and nobody can remember all of them you know right like "Uh, I, i think trustworthy's on there. You're like, I remember all of them. It's like right integrity, Integrity,
2: right? You can always go with integrity. That's always a good
1: one. Is integrity there? No, but that's a great one. Thanks for bringing it up. You know, (laughs) right? you mentioned as a part of this too, you mentioned earlier storytelling. I wonder, you know, obviously story is a part of this, the story we tell. How do you craft a story? How do you bring in just storytelling, that concept into marketing? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I won't claim to be the most creative person out there, what, what I like to do is, you know, kind of find a framework, find a best practice and, and adapt that. So for the, last, for the last two marketing organizations that, that I have helped build as, as a CMO, one of the things that we did is bring in the Story Brand. You know, it's a very oh, yeah. well-known uh, book. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I, I love, I forget the author's name, but he does a great job of even giving you some materials that you can use Again, we, you always adapt them, right, to what's right for uh, your solution, your business. But yeah. that's a framework that I have used uh, repeatedly, and I think, it's, I think it's terrific. And one of the reasons is that it really helps organizations understand, too, that, you know, kind of one-on-one storytelling is, you know, to involve the listener. And the best way to involve the listener is you make them the hero. And I love to start out, you know, presentations as we start to talk about rebuilding people's frame of reference around storytelling and, and the role of the company slash solution and the role of the the customer is I'll put up that example and say, okay, Yoda, um, or Luke Skywalker, right? Who, who are we? And invariably, you know, you get. 80, 90% 80, 90% of that audience, you know, ooh, 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 yeah, we're Luke Skywalker. We're Luke Skywalker. We, we, we battle we battle evil, right? right? And uh, in the answers of, obviously, the, the other way around, that it is your customer that's the hero because they're the ones that have, you know, a, a problem to solve. They're the ones that are going to have to go on this journey that you're going to have to understand. So we're, we're Yoda, we're the advisor, we're the trusted advisor and that's our job as marketers, right? We got to understand how did, how did you get into this predicament and mm-hmm. what are the steps that you've got to take to get out of it? And how can we help you with that? And what is that happy place, that pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, you know, in, in your eyes that you're getting to? So I, I, I have kind of defaulted to, you know, adapting and playing around with that. So I think that's an easy way for people to bring storytelling into their organizations uh, at alchemy we actually shared that as well with our uh, sales leadership team because they're very they're very active and hands-on in terms of helping to craft the message which is a great practice you know to have that voice of the customer what's really happening of the moment and bringing that in and you know and again this goes with so many disciplines as you bring them into the organization but we were we weren't speaking the same language Mm-hmm. And, you know, they wanted to, to keep raising their hand and saying, oh, but this is what we do. That's super cool. Like, yes, it is super cool. But we just got to flip the way that we talk about that and how it's going to make what the hero or heroine is trying to do. That would be super cool. So it's just a lot of times too, you you can take something like that. And just by building that common vocabulary and that common set of logic and reasoning, like and then things can really can really take off from there,
1: too. I love that point um, about making them the hero. It's like what an interesting question to ask: Are we Luke Skywalker? Are we Yoda? And you know, it's like a it's like a trick. It's a trick question. The customer is Luke Skywalker or Leia yeah. or whoever. You yeah, know? like we're we're the Yodas, and Yoda's yeah. cool. Like no, absolutely, idea. Yoda's even cooler. But uh, <laughs> you know, but but we're you know, the customer is the Mandalorian. The customer is the, the hero on this journey. And in the different questions you asked were interesting too. you, know, how did you get here? And then let's, let's talk through the steps that we can take to get you out of here. But it's your journey. You're taking it. We're honored to be a part of it, but it's not, it's not our journey. And I, I'm glad you talked to sales about that because I could easily see marketing could say this message all day long, but when it gets to sales and sales is like, I'm the hero, I'm the sales guy guy or gal, I'm the hero. We're going to save you. It's like, no, 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 don't. That's not the message. We need to carry the message all the way through that the customer is the hero.
2: Yeah. I mean, and just to relate it to uh, personal lives, like I, I like to think it would be as absurd as, you know, showing up on a date and, you know, first day and be like, oh, Casey, wow, I find you so fascinating. Now let me tell you everything about me.
0: (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't know i, don't I can't imagine, imagine it would
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> i can't unless unless you're sitting across somebody like a like elon musk or somebody that you're like yes i just want to hear all about you because you're one of a kind right, uh, right? but no uh i i i, I jest. but it i mean but it'd be it'd be tantamount to, to uh, doing yeah. that so in yeah. our you know marketing worlds you know it yeah, we don't want to show up on that first date and try to tell them how important, how customer centered we are. Now let us tell you all about us.
1: Yeah, like on your profile online, it, on your website, it said how customer focused you were, but then you get on a call, and yeah, I, I can see that. That exa- I feel like I've seen that on like sitcoms and stuff too, where it's like, oh, that's nice, cool. Back to me now, you know. Oh, that's mm-hmm. nice. Back to me, back to me, back to me, and you're like, this feels weird. Is this like the back to you show? Like, ugh. Right. I, hey, I, I got to go. My uh, family is sick. My right. <laughs> aunt's cousin is sick. I got to go. Right. Um, but yeah, it can't be about, it can't be self-centered and selfish. It has to be like a serving act, you know, to do the sales and the marketing side.
2: So I would challenge all of us. I mean, you know, when you think about this concept is, uh, you know, just kind of pause, take a quiet moment and think about, you know, the last big purchase that you made in, in a B2B environment. And I mean, you can feel the difference in terms of how you respond to the presenter, of how engaged you are, your immediate, you know, kind of limbic system reaction to, you know, do I care about this or do I not? Mm-hmm. And when a, when a presenter, when a company nails that, like, oh, it just, it feels so good. Because like, yeah, you like, you get me, you really are just speaking to the things that I'm, I'm telling you I care about, not just all the things that you want to tell me about. And that, that's huge. Like, I, I love the way that, you know, uh, and, I, and and trust me, I'm, I'm not an expert by any means of scratching the surface, but of understanding the way that bri- brain science works mm. into, you know, our job as, as marketers. And that understanding of, yeah, you've got about like four nanoseconds you know, to get through, you know, to that, I think it's the limbic system. You have to first go maybe through the hypothalamus. I forget exactly, but basically that fight or flight, you know, it happens super quick, super quickly. And as a marketer, like I said, you have to open up strong. I have to make that connection with you. You know, like I said, in, in just a, in just a few seconds, Mm -hmm. otherwise the brain, you know, because it just protects itself from going on overload from all the stimuli around us. It's making that decision. Like, do I let you in or do I kind of like stick you to the back burner for, for, for background processing? Yeah. And right. We, we want, we want to get in, right. We want to get right. in right away. We want you invested in this. And, and so you really, you have to do that out of the gate because, you know, subconsciously we're, we're making those judgments and with otherwise, then we're just making it more difficult for ourselves. So anytime, you know, you open up and you've got the you know, hey, you know, company A B C here's all the fun facts about us. We were founded in this year and
1: you know, oh, no. lost started me with,
2: you know, radio transmitters and here flight, you, you flight. Know, like, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Like, you know, I start dreaming about what's happening on my phone in, you know, I'm not even I'm not even trying to check out, but it just it happens.
1: I've certainly been on calls like that and and it, to make matters worse, after they start talking, they're like, cool, let's go into a demo. And you're just like, Ugh. You know, good, Ch- chance for me to check my email and not have to interact yeah. and answer your questions. But then you're like, I'm wasting my time right now. But the better ones are the ones trying to find out the challenges or maybe already have a, a an idea of what your challenges are. But it's really all about you. You know, it's yeah. such a. It, it, why don't pe- more people do this? I don't know. Like, I don't know why people don't do know, this.
2: Casey. And I think, you know, and, and, and this is something that's really your world. I know, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, technology is awesome first. Mm-hmm. Let me just go on record and say that. I mean, you know, it enables all types of, you know, new businesses. It levels the playing field in a lot of ways. The barriers to entry have come down. So lots of great things to be said about it. But I, I also think though, it it, you know, enables you know people though to kind of lose you know the 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 forest Mm -hmm. uh for the trees if you will and that you know we get we get distracted with all these shiny new tech tools and and we forget like everything you and i are just talking about right now like none of this is new you know this is one of those classic axioms but yet you know we we forget to put those into practice Right. And, you know, I just see more and more people, more marketers, especially just get distracted by that, that, at, you know, you don't, you don't have to run to, you know, your, uh you know, your campaign platform, your this platform, whatever, you know, to see sometimes the reason for poor results, it, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and say, you know, our, do we have the right story? Do we understand mm-hmm. our customer? I mean, we can be, we can be executing on a campaign, you know, from the tech sense, you know, perfectly. Uh, but again, if you're not making that emotional connection and having that that compelling story that that brings that your customer can identify and see themselves in, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, it's so easy, like immediately from loading one of those tools to look at people as numbers. Now you know now yeah. they're a number in a column. But if you right. really do the math, you're like even one person clicking that's like a human with hopes and dreams and goals and fears and emotions that have taken an action. And so it's very easy to think about the sort of at scale thing and forget that like, there's, it's not, it's not a game. It's not like we're on Nintendo or Xbox now. It's like, it's actually humans doing this. And so, yeah, it's very easy to lose that. And then also there's like the silver bullet mentality of, I really don't know what the strategy should be here, but, but these tech vendors are saying that this will just cure all my pain, or at least that's what I think they're saying. So I'm just going to, drop it in there and then people just leave it on the shelf you know whether yeah. it worked it could work, but you're leaving it you're not doing it you know you're just yeah. kind of hoping it'll solve it you all of your problems for you
2: you know and I think I think coupled with that you know or I should say maybe even contributing to it is yeah it's very it's very fashionable you know to talk about um, you know data analytics and being data driven and so first of all like I said and, and that's something we'll talk about I know later is absolute you know, that's a must, you know, and, and I'd be a very loud voice on that. Uh, but, but also though, I think it's, it's people though, finding their level of sophistication, if you will, with that, meaning that, you know, I think we, I think we use data, you know, to, to confirm, I I Hmm. think we use data to, you know, maybe tease out, uh, some, some of the more important questions we should be, we should be asking. And so that's why in my organization, you know, I have very deliberate wording around this that, you know, we don't make data-based decisions. We make data-informed decisions. And again, not to be overly pedantic about the word choice, but it's not like we're on autopilot and, okay, data tells us this, so go that way. No, it's, you know, you need to look at the data points, but you need to put it into context. And then, right, let's put our, you know, AI and the robots and China sure. is running the world yet, right? So let's go ahead and put our human, you know, element into this and, and then take a step back and understand, you know, why the results are, you know, stronger or weaker than, than we expected them to be. So again, like I would lump, you know, kind of that, you know, booby trap of, you know, technology and, you know, this the kind of data gone wild belief, if you will, together. And like I said, very important, get your discipline around them, uh, you know, put them in their place, if you will, in your strategy, but they, they shouldn't drive your strategy and they should Mm. not, they should not obscure your view of what to do, what to do next.
1: Yeah. Like it's, you know, I'm glad, even though maybe it's a difference of a word, it is actually important because it's the difference between letting it lead you versus you Leading the way based on emotions and the people and the customers you've talked to, and letting the data inform your decision as opposed to being like you're not worshiping the data and just doing whatever it says. You're in charge. You're setting the strategy, and then the data is supporting you um, or helping you discover. I will you discover things to confirm things, uh, yeah. but it's not driving the whole process.
2: Yeah, you know, Casey, I, I kind of think of it this way too: is you know, um, pretend like data is one voice in the room. You know, people will, people make the comment and again, it's, it's well-intentioned, but hey, the numbers speak for themselves. The data speaks for itself. Uh, Sure. Right. But it's, it's one voice, you know, what should be amongst many, you know, many diverse, you know, voices in, in that room, if you will. And, and that's, that's how I look at it. Like I said, again, always demand that it's there, right. Always demand that it has, you know, a prominent seat at the table. But it is not, you know, it is not at the head of the table, if you will. And it's not, you know, the, making all the decisions for the organization.
1: Yeah, it's almost like I can picture a cartoon of this. Because I, I know, you know, with Amazon and other companies, they have the customer have a seat at the table. But now yeah. we can have data have a seat at the table. Hey, there's plenty of seats. You're not in charge of the meeting. But like, definitely be a part of this one, you know?
2: Yeah. So Casey, you and I, we've got a couple of uh, new little cartoons and graphics to ink, it we sounds do. like. Coming out
1: of those. we do. Maybe we need a comic book, like a marketing comic book or something.
2: <laughs> there you go.
1: Let's spin that up. Uh, you know, you had mentioned um, the data-driven. Like, how important is the outcome? Because I think we lose sight of that.
2: Yeah. Um, the so I'll we'll have to ask you to clarify that a little sure. bit more.
1: It, the outcome in marketing, I, you know, I think whether this ties into alignment with sales or just driving doing your own marketing work, sometimes we're about the data. Sometimes we're about activity. We're just about like. Let's, let's be busy like bees and then don't worry yeah. about everything else, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, and, and you had covered this a bit in my introduction and, you know, I've been fortunate to work in, in different departments. And one of the things, you know, and I know that this is an audience, for marketers, so I'll keep it very focused on this. Uh, but honestly, Casey, I think that's a challenge for all of us, you know, and, and myself included, is to always do that self-check you know, am I working on the most important things? You know, is my, uh, you know, the way I've spent my time this week, is it reflected in that? But I, now I'll come back to, to marketing. And I think that marketers, you know, we have a, we have a special challenge, if you will, because I'll, now let's just contrast it with sales and with product. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll get into why this is especially important, I think, for marketers to, okay. to be super disciplined about, about, you know, being outcome obsessed. Is that you know sales and product, they both have these like tangible, you know, um, outputs, if you will, right? Sales, you know, never has to prove their ROI, right? Because either they they win, they lose, we yeah. have the client, we don't, right? I mean the revenue is is a direct tie, if you will, you know, even though there's lots of stuff that goes into that, but it's a direct tie to you know them proving their value, their return right. on, on that investment. Product is the same way you know, that again, you know, okay, we spent X million dollars on R&D on products. And here's what we got for it, right? We've got these, you know, 17 products, these new things we've launched. And again, you can you can tie directly to that. So the special fun thing for us marketers is that there is not a concrete output, if you will, that mm-hmm. most of us in our businesses, you know, can can tie to that really is, you know, forefront in, in the company strategy and, in, you know, the objectives and, and how we make money, if you will. Yeah. Right. So sales, very quantifiable right. products. How many did we release? Did we release yeah. them? How many people are buying them? So you've got all that. So as marketers, right, we kind of, you know, sit in the background a little bit, the stuff that we do on the forefront, unfortunately, you know, it's not unless you're a big brand that can measure right the consumer, you know, awareness and sentiment, most of us aren't going to fall into that category. So we're never gonna be able to really quantify the front end mm-hmm. of of some of the positioning work we do and that that brand awareness. So we're stuck now of having, you know, okay, guys, how do we prove our, our value? And so that's why I think it's especially important for marketers to be super obsessed with, okay, what is that, what is that two levels up, if you will, company objective, you know, that's important for their for the whole company to win. And then how do we tie back everything we're doing to that? And, and so again, that's why I think it's it's really important for marketers to get that straight, because otherwise, yeah, you know, people will come around and, you know, Hey, Holly, how's it how's it going? How's the marketing team? Oh, great. We're super busy. And, right, you know, right. my my team's will always, you know, laugh and joke around because, you know, that's what I coach them on is like, guys, we're not super busy. We're super focused. Right? And that's what the company needs from us. They don't need us to be busy running around with, you know, fighting fires and, you know, they need us to be super focused and disciplined about saying no to the things that aren't creating the value that the corporation needs and saying yes, you know, to, to, to the activities that are directly tying to that. And, and that's why I think like, again, with marketers, because we don't have that classic, you know, output, this is how we're doing, you know, you have to be, you have to be very, very uh, intentional about it, but it's hard. Because, uh, you know, again, you know, unless you're coming into uh, an, an organization that has a well-established marketing practice, you know, it, it's, you have to have a methodical plan for how you enable your organization to do that. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. Boom. Yeah.
0: There it is.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, I can, I can imagine the change in perception of the marketing team when everyone in the team is saying, we're focused, we're focused. They're not complaining about being busy like it's a badge of honor or a badge of courage. Well, cool. Sales is usually busy. Whether they are or they aren't, it's all about the outcome. So it doesn't even... Great. I hope hope you are busy. I hope that means you get more sales. But either way, you got to produce something. But no, we're super focused. And also the idea of not just your immediate metric you're looking at, but what are the people one, two, three, however many levels up from you looking at the company objectives. Where is the company trying to go? And then tying into that so that you're not... You know, it's not some vanity metric that only marketing understands or somebody else on a podcast understands. It's like, no, that's relevant to the CEO, to the CFO, to everyone. That's, that's a helpful metric to, to be working toward. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, you it doesn't happen overnight. And, and again, everyone mm-hmm. will have their different you know, practices of how you build this. But you know, the, way, the way I look at it, there's, there's really kind of you know, three things that have to exist. You know, the first is that you have to have, again, now we'll revisit data um, and, and data architecture and infrastructure uh, from a very positive enabling sense that you have to have your data organized in a way you know, where there's integrity in it Uh, You can, you can manipulate it, you know, meaning, you know, you can, you can run all of your own, you know, analyzations on it and that you're capturing the right inputs. So uh, again, you know, I would say that marketing organizations that don't have a full-time marketing analytics person, you know, that you're, again, that's probably going to be a softer area for you. And, and it has to be strong to be able to do this. Right. And then the second is, and this goes all the way now back to how you budget and how you do your resource planning, is I'm a big fan of, you know, project accounting, you know, which is less about line items, like, okay, well, you know, hey, we're going to spend, you know, 10% more on events and trade shows, we're going to spend, you know, 5% less on consultants, like, that doesn't tell me anything useful in my opinion. What what is much more useful for me, and I think for you know any of then your colleagues at the C level is to map it to what are those key initiatives that are supporting those corporate objectives. So for instance, if you know Casey, you and I want to penetrate a new market, that's an initiative, right? So whether it's a, a new market, a new geography, and then I want to see how much money is going into that initiative. I don't care if it's coming from consultants. I don't care if it's coming from trade shows. It's how much money am I spending to get that outcome that we want from, from, from that investment. And you know, again, the whole organization doesn't have to practice this. And I've, I haven't been in organizations that, that have, but what I've done is I've taken the marketing budget and we will, at the end of the month, when we get our reports, is we will allocate everything to those, to those key initiatives and then we'll measure how we're doing against those. So again, uh-huh. you know, if I see that I'm not getting the results in a certain area at the top level, I can go back to our budget and say, oh, well guys, guess what? We're spending 50% of what we thought we were going to year to date. You know, not a surprise right. Right, that we're not having the headway that we wanted to there. And then it's a great gut check, I think, as well. You know people say it different ways, but you know you can say that strategy is is how you spend your money and resources. So again, if I take a look at ah at our budget in totality now, and I'm looking at the proportion of where money is going by project, by initiative, you know I can very quickly see mismatches. I can see, like, okay, wow, right? on the priority list and what's going to have the impact on the company you know, we're spending 40% of our entire budget on this thing that maybe is only 5% of, you know, the overall corporate objectives. And you can, you can really start to see that and hold yourself accountable to, okay, you know, we can't talk about the fact that we're building this organization of the future when you look again at our budget and resources. And we're not giving that organization of the future any investment time right Man. now. So that's, that's the second big thing. Know that that has to exist. And then the third is, and this is, I would say, the most difficult because as a marketer, you have the least amount of control over this. And it's and it's much more now about change management and culture and collaboration with other groups. But you have to have kind of these second-level cross-functional aligned goals. And what I mean by that is it's very easy for everyone to have. You know the same top level goals because it gets set right by the c e o by the c f o by the c suite of here's the revenue, here's the gross margin et cetera et cetera however, it's the now you know as they say, the devil in the details of how are we going to get there and a good example of this is you know you know for me to as a marketer put up a an objective you know that says You know, we are going to have, you know, successful product launches of, you know, these two major releases. Okay, well, again, I can't quantify that in that format, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to have very clear goals, you know, with the product team of, well, what, what does that mean? What are your adoption goals? What are your sales goals? What are your whatever that metric is going to be? And then I have to align my goals to that. But what happens most often is that we're not, we're not going to that second level. And we're not, if we are, you know, having that cross-functional alignment. So it says that, okay, of these three major product launches, you know, here's, the, here's what our definition of success is on each of them. Because now, you know, maybe it's not the same. You know, maybe they know that one release is going to be more important than another. But as the marketer, again, how do I right-size now my budget's my time and attention you know, to each of those different three releases. You know, I have to know what your goal is of success so I can, I can plan my resources uh, accordingly. Right. And, and the same, in the same, you, know, you can work the same scenario across with sales of, okay, well, again, we all know the top line number, but what are your assumptions below that? How much are going to come from this type of customer? How much are going to come from, um, you know, renewals? How much are going to come from this? So again, I know how to plan. Otherwise, you know, I am left, you know, kind of in the dark and unable to come up with these, you know, really crystal clear metrics that allow me to drive the right behavior. So that's, that's the toughest one. But I think if you, again, if you nail all three of those and you'll always be perfecting them and at different, you know, stages of maturation there and proficiency. But in my opinion, those are the three ingredients that, you know, that you really need to work on if you're going to be really driving towards, you know, this, you know, what I call this outcome obsessed marketing, where everything or as much as you, you you know, you can of what you're doing, what your team is doing is driving towards the most important things for the company.
1: You know, I've been in board meetings where they didn't line anything and it's a a mess, but I've been in some where they align to at least the company's goals and that's, better but then i've experienced what you were talking about where everyone's got their goals that help out with a company goal but they're kind of still siloed they don't really take everyone else into consideration and then it it always feels like something's off like it's gears that are meshing every two three rotations but not completely and it and what it's missing is that second like shifting gear like get that second level of goals inner interchanged and just being able to have those conversations amongst the different departments, I can see being so much benefit to that because now you know how they're approaching it. You can, you can adjust how you're approaching it as well. And, and yeah, that's really powerful. I, I, I have not heard that just like I also haven't heard the project accounting and like how many interviews I've done. I have yet to hear someone talk about that, but I could immediately see the benefit when you're describing how it, your, your spend, like where your spend and your resources, almost like agile where your resources are going, yeah. but your spend as well. How, where is your spend going? And I could see, you know, we talk about, you know, marketing being under the gun, um, when times get tight and, you know, they're looking at, are we a cost center and well, a budget that just says, look, we, we printed t-shirts and we, we sent out gifts and we right. did a podcast, you know, all these things as line items you're you're not you haven't fixed the problem that budget makes you still look like you're busy and not focused but when you're when your budget is focused on the outcomes like wow that's cool yep we've spent we've invested 20k 300k whatever it is and this you know either project product launch or in this you know we want to get recurring customers want to increase that we're doing that with sales to help increase that wow like just a little bit of a, a subtle shift. The numbers are still the same, but you're just presenting them differently and you're focused differently.
2: Yeah. So Casey, I mean, I just, I'm super shocked that none of your speakers want to come on here, your guests, and talk about accounting as the sexiest thing. Else, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not usually you know, a marketer's right? go-to, go-to topic, but uh, yeah, but right, it, it, it's, it's one of those foundation, those fundamental, fundamental things. You know, yeah. the other thing now, let's, you know, let's remember our own medicine here in terms sure. of, you know speaking to what powers you know the individual to make a decision what what drives into that to that emotion as well. the other thing that I love about outcome um, you know outcome orientation and and driving your team to, to think like that is is the role it plays now for the individual that if you know exactly you know and you can visualize it in your mind and, and you understand the numbers. Of where we need to get to, you know, the path is always going to change. Right? I mean, if anything, I mean, COVID is taught us that, right? It's been like a yeah. huge wake-up call to anyone that that you know didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, have to have to shift and you know with the times. But you know, everything is everything is always changing, right? We're mm-hmm. always getting new information, and you know, the way as an individual in growing your career, you know, I I would think is you know, that you can help the company respond quickly to these types of changes. You know, and just an example that, that I'll give you is, and, and this was something that happened, you know, a few jobs ago, but we were, you know, we had a set budget for uh, launching uh, Pardot. I think it was Pardot at the time. Okay. And, you know, we had a small but mighty marketing team, right? I think lots of folks can probably re- relate to that. And for the company, you know, we had a very strategic reason why we had to get ParDot up and running and to start to get these drip campaigns out there. Mm-hmm. And I had this uh, employee, this team member, and and she is terrific. And and but she she was really internalizing like, oh, okay, we have a budget. I can't exceed that budget. We've already used those consulting hours. Mm. And. When I spoke with her, you know, it didn't take long to see that we were going to be delayed, you know, because she was trying to do everything herself. And she thought that that was the win, that the win was staying within budget and, you know, not having to you know, raise her hand and say that we needed more. And I sat down with her and explained, hey, if, if we're delayed on this, you know, and what you're looking at right now, you're telling me like maybe, you know, 30 days delayed on this. Then, then this is what it does, the ripple effect through the rest of the organization, right? Then we're going to be 30 delays on starting this, mm. which is going to put us 60 delays on that, which is going to put us 90, 120 days out from that business Jeez. outcome that we need. The year will have closed. We won't have that, that proof point. And, you know, she's like, okay, wow. All right. I understand now. I said, so no, the, what the company needs is for you to keep your eye on that ultimate outcome. And don't see the obstacles. Don't, you know, you just, your job is to raise your hand and say, hey, I've got a new piece of data. I've got a new input. I've got a new view of the world that is telling me that that outcome is at risk. And I'm going to tell you why it's at risk, at risk, and I'm going to tell you what needs to be done to get it back on track. And in this case, it was was as simple as just upping our, our engagement hours with this consulting firm so that yeah. she didn't have to labor over figuring it out or getting the templates made, right? Easy, easy stuff. But again, once you get your mind thinking about the outcome, then it drives the right behavior and it makes you, it makes you so much more valuable.
1: Mind-blowing, right? Because I was like, I was, pre- like it was her in, the, in that story. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, don't you just want to keep things on budget? But then as, you, as you're explaining, these are, this particular project is tied to like four other things. and you being off by a few days here and look what happens to the whole organization. And it's like, you're kind of sharing that CMO level. view. you look at everything around you and sales and ops and this product and all this grinds to a halt, right? It's like, yeah, Oh, I see. It actually makes it, you know, that you know, extra few thousand dollars or whatever it is for, you know, it's like, actually that's pocket change compared to this whole machine stopping. So let's yeah. keep going, you know? Wow.
2: Yes. And it's, yeah. and you know, Casey, I like to think it's one of those things that once people, you know, kind of break through that, that ceiling, if you will, and it becomes more instinctive to kind of pick your head up and, and look up and, and look at the, okay, well, why is this important? Why does this matter? Mm-hmm. It, it starts to become, you know, you know, part of your habit. And again, I think that's one of the, you know, fastest ways for marketers you know, to to really start to, you know, climb the ladder, if you will, is by adopting that that type of thinking. And and just one I mean, just one last story. I mean, I this mm-hmm. literally, you know, I, I had this conversation this morning before you and I chatted. And again, you know, world changing all around us all the time. And hopefully all of us, you know, that are listening right now are taking a fresh look at our goals and making sure that we are aligned with, you know, where where our customers are today with the world. When you're, when you're faced with a goal mm-hmm. and if you understand, you know, why that goal is important to the company and why, you know, if we miss that of what happens and, you know, the negative, you know, fallout from that, then again, it, it changes your thinking of, okay, today I'm, I'm struggling to see how we're going to get there. And I'm going to, because of my, you know, natural human tendencies are to sometimes, you know, think negatively about why I can't or why this organization can't. Like, no, flip it the complete other way around. Tell me what you need to get this done, right? right? So tell me what you would, what what would need to change for us to be able to get there. So it's, you know, again, I, I kind of put that more towards that driving the right individual behavior when we're, you know, Obsessively looking at the outcome that we need to produce. It's now, you know, how do I make this happen, not the reasons why I can't make this happen. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the the proactive versus sort of reactionary excuses or defensive plays and right. Kind of thing. Yeah, um, man, this is. I feel like this is like a masterclass on um, some really important topics. Where do you see all this going? Where do you see the the future? Any anything coming around the bend that? Um, You know, strategies or technology. What are you excited about?
2: Oh gosh, Um, yeah. I mean,
1: if anything, right? (laughs) Yeah, like like COVID time. I know.
2: Well, you know, again, right? Chaos. You know, crisis. Even you know, uh, you look at you know. I think that the Chinese word for that is something like it's a combination of of danger plus opportunity. You know, and. I, I, I love that because I think it's, I think it's very true. And so it, I'm not going to make any bold predictions here, Casey, just that, you know, I think that, again, the silver lining perhaps in, in what we're all going through from an economic and in business sense is that, you know, it's, it's a great time. It's a great time to innovate. It's a great time to disrupt yourself. Uh, you know, it's a great time to, to look at new uh, use cases for your, for your customers, for your clients. Because I, I would argue that in every sector out there, uh, that your clients and your customers, they're not behaving the same way right. that they did, you know, uh, come you know, February 1st of, of this year, that it is changing all around us. And sometimes companies, I think, need, a, you know, kind of a, a stark wake up call to to take a hard look at you know, maybe some of the you know, assumptions that they hold to be true that are no longer Ah, uh, true. And so, like I said, it's, I think it's a great time to take a fresh look at everything that you're doing, of how your customers' lives are doing, of how their problems are are changing. And I would challenge us all that if we're still thinking about that customer solution and that customer journey in the same ways as, as we did, you know, six months ago, then you know we're we're going to be we're going to be in trouble. That this is this is a great time to build, you know, stronger DNA in your businesses of how you stay close to your customer, how you innovate, how you how you disrupt disrupt yourself for the future.
1: Absolutely. There is opportunity in that chaos for sure. Yeah. Who are you? Can you take take me back in time? Like little holidays? days. What was I like growing up? Did you always know you're gonna be in marketing and where Oh God you no, what a
2: bore that? that would have been, huh? Uh um, <laughs> huh. No, let's see. So I um yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts. I was uh, you know, and that's where, you know, you and I Patriots. Our our Patriots connection. Um spent a lot of time in Nashua where 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 you live too. And uh yeah, I mean I was born in South Korea. I was I was adopted from South Korea and I had the most amazing uh childhood. I was I was so spoiled with just unconditional love and support from the you know the two best parents I I could have hoped for. Wow. So, I mean, you know, you asked me kind of where I'm from, what I'm all about. And I mean, and it all starts there, you know, because my my parents, like I said, they're just amazing people, very, very blue collar, um, salt of the earth, you know, just great values. And I grew up in this environment where, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they taught me that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, but that you had to work, you know, really hard to get it, you know, no one's going to, you know, just hand it to you. But then, you know, also just very, you know, knowing that you have that safety net and not, not a financial safety net either. It's, you know, cause again, you know, my, my, we didn't come from, we didn't come from money, but just that, you know, emotional, you know, Hey, you know, go ahead, you know, risk it fall, make mistakes. It's okay. Right. That, that unconditional love and support. I just, like I said, I I had the most fortunate upbringing in that sense. And, and that's, that really set me along my way of, you know, not being afraid to, to take risks, not being afraid to fail. And, uh, cause I grew up with such a, a core belief and yeah, you know, go for it. You can do it.
1: Right. Yeah. Just hardworking Massachusetts folks. You have the accents, those like pack the cat, you know, those things.
2: We we grew up north of Boston. Okay. You know, right. There's, there's a definite distinction between north of Boston and and south of Boston. So yes, they still have their, uh, their Boston accents to some degree, but uh, not, not as severely (laughs) as, as some of my folks from, you know, Saugus and yeah, where, where it gets, where it gets pretty, pretty heavy. And uh, yeah. So I, you know, they, like I said, just. Terrific, terrific upbringing in every sense, um, uh, you know, very, very smart, uh, very smart people. We talked about real topics all the time, which I, I try to do with my kids as well as, you know, have real conversations. And uh, yeah, just like I said, set me up for, you know, really, I think the, the rest of
1: my life. Wow. Wow. Powerful. And then you go to school and it's, what is it, politics time when you get to school? Holly <laughs> sci
2: yeah. Yeah. Again, like so you say, you asked, you know, did you think that you wanted to be a marketer your whole life? Like I could say, God, no. Um, I think the first thing I thought I was going to be is um, a lobbyist. Really? And this goes all the way back to junior high school. And, you know, again, it goes back to my folks of talking about very real, you know, things that were happening in the world around us. And sure. so I was always encouraged to have uh, a real point of view about things. And in junior high school, I. I can remember I used to write political editorials uh, for for nobody. (laughs) Like it wasn't like we had a school newspaper and I would write these political editorials. And I don't know, I I probably tried to make my friends read them. I doubt that they did, but my my dad would read them. My mom would read them. And so, yeah, I thought that I wanted to to be a lobbyist. That was that was the first thing. And then uh, I toyed with the idea of I think if you read my high school yearbook, like my future plans were to become a U.S. senator. So I was definitely like thinking in in that in that direction. So wow. that was that was my first, you know, I guess you could say love. Um, and I explored it uh, quite a bit too. And and I kind of held on to that all the way through undergrad, and did uh, you know different internships with like my congressman's office, mm. different political campaigns, and kind of explored. You know, again, I didn't probably know it at the time what I was doing, but was was exploring some of these assumptions I had about you know this industry and what it takes to be successful, uh, what type of money you can earn and what different times in your life and synthesizing all of that to, to make a decision. And, and I eventually opted, you know, kind of looking around and said, okay, uh, no, not, not what I want to do with my life. You know, and I think the two things that kind of stood out for me, one being practical, one being more philosophical, but that especially on the lobbying side, and I guess even on the um, public service side is a win isn't always a clear win, right? Like mm. on the lobbying side, like you could, you could win maybe for one of your clients by killing something else. Um, and it's just this constant trade off. And again, so this path to how you, you know, to goodness wasn't necessarily very clear. That's more philosophical. Uh, but the second is more practical and it comes down to money, you know, that, mm. uh, always wanted to be, you know, financially independent and Again, you know, you had to probably slave away on the hill for like 10 years and make all of your you know, strong committee relationships and build your network before you could really, you know, pull down a, a decent salary. And I just said, you know what kind of time value of money? Uh, I'm not willing to invest 10 years of my life working at said level when I could go into sales, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. you know, and in, in, in invest my, my time in my returns differently.
1: Yeah, with sales, like we talked about earlier, you see a very immediate response. You know, if you yeah. do good, you see that return back to you.
2: Yeah, no, I love it. Like, and that's why, and I would recommend sales as a great place to go for folks starting their career again because it's very quantifiable. You get immediate feedback. Uh, you learn a lot of great skills, and and again, I can thank my dad for my getting into sales. I remember him bringing home uh, an article clipping. And, you know, he worked as a, he worked as a machinist, you know, for, I don't know, you know, 40 years in the same business. Wow. And so we didn't speak kind of the same business, you know, language, but he understood what my ambitions were. And, and he would do these great things of just very thoughtful things like, and he just clipped this article for me. And it was about, uh, at the time, remember this is probably like 25 years ago or plus God. And <laughs> it was, it was about, you know, back when like six figure incomes were, you know, something, you know, more unusual. And it was an article, I think, from the Boston Globe about, you know, that, you know, the highest percentage of people with six-figure incomes, you know, wasn't doctors, it wasn't lawyers in terms of, you know, percentages, it was salespeople, you know, that were engaged in selling some sort of, you know, more sophisticated uh, solution. And, and that really, and that really stuck with me.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's very practical. It's cool that he just sort of clipped it out. I was like, hey. Yeah, you know, FYI, and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, interesting. You got my attention. And so you went and you did the sales thing. How was that? And did you have that sort of sales edge that it takes to get the the business won?
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm um I'm not in I'm not a competitive person with other people. Like I'm very competitive with myself, and I have a lot to prove to myself and in my own standards. And sales is a great place for that, you know, because again, you know, you you know the discipline that it takes, you know, and that it might look like easy work, but there's so much preparation if if you're gonna do it well. And that that same instinct that I guess that has, you know, you know, stayed with me throughout my career of you know, wanting to go several layers deep, you know, not just skip along the surface, wanting to truly empathize. And to understand, you know, whether it's as a marketer or whether it's as a salesperson, of how can I best, you know, solve your needs. And and so when you do that, and I think when you do that earnestly, like I said, yeah, it it it's it's a lot of it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I I love sales for that reason because I think there's so many valuable skills. And and especially too, as we all move on in our careers, and and Casey, I'm sure that, that you feel it even with with what you do. I mean, the way that you know you and I found each other. And, you know, you have to, you have to always be selling, you know, there's not a single role out there of importance where you're not having to sell and to really tap into understanding your, your audience or understanding, you know, who it is that, that you need to influence. So I, I I think sales was a great place and it boosts the confidence too, you know, Mm -hmm. if you, if you do well.
1: And then when it comes time to align with sales, it's not a, a mysterious art. It's like, okay, I've been there. I respect you guys. I'm here to help. Like, yeah, don't well, I'll chuckle, me.
2: I'll chuckle with that one because you would think so, right? But my really? my my practical experience is that you know once you cross that line, it's kind of like you know like you just crossed over um, the Hartford line and suddenly you're a Yankee fan. You know, <laughs> it's like they forget they forget the fact that you were ever you know in sales, and then it becomes oh well, marketing sales, and you get into that kind of you know classic right. They keep
1: reminding them, hey. Hey, I, I I did your job. I, I sold your right. house one year. I'm
2: like, what, right. what, what's up? <laughs> right. Yeah. So, for whatever reason, like, it's in in, in practical, uh, yeah. practical terms, it seems that seems to get that seems to get forgotten.
1: How did you eventually get into marketing?
2: Yeah. So I like I said, I I um I, I've I've also worked in you know managing businesses as well. So I think that that also gives me a little different perspective on anything that I approach. But you know, marketing, mm-hmm. you know especially, and I like to think of myself as, you know, having been a, a president of a company, having been C, CEO of a smaller company is, you know, I'm what I would have wanted in in my CMO, right. you know, sitting in that seat. I have a lot of my thinking and, and my behavior of, you know, trying my best to be proactive, trying my best to, you know, mitigate risks, you know, be, before they come and in, in giving information in a way that can be understood and that, you know, the, the C-suite can make, you know, informed decisions from, um, yeah. So I, I did, I did a bunch of that and then, you know, have really found that what I really enjoy and marketing is a great perch to do it from is I love, um, I love strategy, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I love, um, kind of looking at the big picture and synthesizing, you know, what's happening with technology, what's happening with our customers, you know, what's happening, you know, with all of these different, you know, parts of, of kind of the strategic, you know, landscape and being able to really pour my energy into, you know, I, I think it's, I think it really, you know, harnesses my talents well.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. No. Amazing. Um, I have a hypothetical for you. If you could go back in time, because I may or may not have a time machine in Nashua, New Hampshire, and you know how to get here. So uh, yeah. next time you're on that trip, you know, the camping trip, um, uh you use the time machine, it goes back to a particular time. It actually is a couple days after your your undergrad graduation. You're about to start a career or something, and you just you know, it's like yeah. you're about to begin life. And um if you could go back and talk to Holly back then, what kind of advice would you give her? What kind of things would you tell her to do, not do, do more of, all that?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, I love the question, first of all. And I will answer it. But I I will say this, though, that, yeah, I mean, like, I look back, you know, especially myself in my early 20s, and I was probably probably so obnoxious. I was, I'm sure, you know, a a know-it-all more than most um, thought I could conquer the world. And, and I'm sure that that probably turned a lot of people off. Sure. You know, but, you know, and then, and then you, then you, you know, you get humbled along the way and it encourages you to, to learn more, which again, you know, is, is just a great, you know, iterative process. So it's hard for me to really say that because again, I wouldn't be who I am today if, you know, I, I didn't have all of those, all of those experiences, you know, the, the highlights and, and the lowlights, but, I guess, you know, if I had to, if I had to give myself that piece of advice, it would be to probably um, to slow down, to slow down a bit. I don't know why, but I've always, you know, had this sense of urgency, you know, in getting things done and, you know, uh, accomplishing things. And, you know, I, I wish I had more, I guess, of a um, stop and smell the roses a, a little bit, you know. I I graduated college, um, Boston University when I was 19. And wow. I guess if I had to give myself one really piece of pointed advice, it would have been uh, don't. And <laughs> take, take the next two years and just explore, like, go do four semesters of study abroad, you know, yeah. go do this and that. Like, it would have been just, you know, to, to slow down a bit, a bit more and really enjoy, you know, the, the moment that you're in. And I I don't think I really understood that probably until I, until I had kids of, you know, the, the value in, in doing that. So I don't know, I guess, I guess if I had to give myself one piece of advice, it would be, uh, it would be that slow down a bit more and and enjoy where you are.
1: Do you think you would listen to yourself?
2: (laughs) Oh God, no, God, no. (laughs) Right. No, no. My parents could tell you that, that they had to uh, they had to finally kind of give in like that, you know, to to parent and to keep a good relationship with a strong willed child. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to you have to bend a bit, which now they love watching me with my oldest, who's a fourteen. <laughs> my, my daughter, who's 14 years old. Revenge. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm, I try to take that advice as well.
1: I've always found it interesting, the balance between, I'll call it Zen or being just in balance with things and then like getting ahead and pushing, you know, and do they, do they ever coexist together? I don't know. Or sometimes you need to be in crazy mode and sometimes you need to be in smell the roses. I, I don't know if they can coexist, you know? So I, I wonder, I wonder about that.
2: I think that that's, you know, that's a lifelong pursuit. Mm-hmm. Right. Is, is finding, is finding that, that right balance. And, and I think, you know, and again, I'm just, I'm just making this up as I go along, but I, you know, maybe part of it as well is, you know, that you, um, you know, you, you, you just appreciate even the craziness. Yeah. Right. Cause you think back to even having kids and, you know, my kids are so close in age. So I went through like, you know, having a two and a three year old, a three and a four year old, a four and a five year old. And even, I mean, that's crazy, right? That is is craziness. You know, you're trying to keep them from killing themselves and killing each other and, you know, killing the cat, and, you know, but again, it's craziness. It's certainly no Zen there, but even that like appreciate, right. Because it doesn't, it doesn't last forever. So maybe this lesson, you know, that even through it all, like, you know, just always appreciate, you know, what, what you do have in front of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, the crazy moments, the chaotic opportunity and danger, and all the stuff all swirled together. Yeah, it can be magical. And um, you know, on that note, speaking of magical and crazy adventures, and you know, taking a semester abroad, or I was going to go go visit Machu Picchu. You recently climbed Kilimanjaro?
2: Oh God, not recently though. It was you know, this was back in two thousand. Okay. And my, um, yeah, my, my best friend Trish and I were, uh, you know, we got the, you know, brilliant idea that, yeah, so the world might go haywire when the clock goes over to 2000. So, yeah, let's go to Africa, right, because <laughs> nothing could go wrong with, with that. And, and, of course, right, it ended up being, you know, nothing did go wrong in the world based, based on that. Right. So, so, it was a good call. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, I, I love, like I said, the outdoors is you know, outside of my work and, you know, uh my my kids, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, probably my third passion mm. that, that really that really drives me. Um so yeah, Africa, um Kilimanjaro, uh Mount Meru, uh just yeah, great. What great was the like? because I was
1: literally supposed to climb it like this month, this past month, but I had to postpone yeah. it. So I've just yeah. been dying like what was it like? Any recommendations? you know, things you would do again or not do, like do bring extra water, like whatever. Do you have any recommendations?
2: Oh, let's see. Uh, so let's see my, like I said, my experience was 20 years ago. Sure. So so keep that in mind, you know, and when I was there, uh, I think it was a little less probably crowded, maybe a little less well-traveled as it is today from what I've, I've heard from folks. Uh, so that, that might be a little different experience, but You know, I would say uh, if I had it to do over again, I would bring I would bring more small little gifts that you can give to people because there were so many people along the way that, you know, yeah, I mean, the way the world works and life is you're never going to keep in touch with them. You know, of some of the locals, but that just absolutely, you know, make your trip so special. And I would bring just as many small things as you could pack as a way of saying, Hey, Mm. you know, thank you from Casey in Nashua, New Hampshire. And even as oddball as it is, you know, they will, you know, they will cherish it, you know, that, Hey, this, you know, this guy from, you know, America came and he gave me this, you know, he gave me this Celtics hat, he gave me this, this Patriots, uh, you know, whatever, as silly as that sounds like that's, that would be my advice is I would bring more small things that you can give, um, to show your
1: gratitude. That's a, that's an amazing thought. I will totally do that. Thanks to you. And I I was just imagining, as you were saying that, like bringing like a 20 Boston Red Sox hats, you know, and just seeing the, you know, you know, heck with you Yankee fans, like seeing just Red Sox fans all over Kilimanjaro.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. I mean, like I said, I love, I love getting outdoors. I'm, I'm very, I'm very passionate about yeah. it. I think it, I think especially today, I don't know if you feel the same way, Casey, but you know, with us being cooped up so much, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, again, silver linings, right. And always be appreciative for what you can bring out of a situation. But I, I know lots of people who, you know, would not really describe themselves as outdoor folks who are finally starting to get outdoors and to find the value in that, you know, I think, you know, the physical benefits aside, I think there's a, you know, enormous emotional benefits, you know, to it. Totally. And, you know, that kind of meditative, like one foot in front of the other, the world just kind of goes quiet. And, you know, before you know it, you're working through problems and things mm-hmm. that you didn't even know that you had, and things are just becoming, you know, so much more clear to you. And, um, and I love that. Like I said, in my at least I'm in tune enough to to my brain that I realize when I need that. Yeah, and like yeah, I'll seek it out.
1: Yeah, like going after it. You know, it wasn't until COVID um, that I'm kind of an outdoor guy, but I've been replacing it with travel. So I had like eight trips booked on Delta business travel all over the place, right? And then they're all canceled. So it's like, and I've and I've filled that gap with getting back to the mountains. And you're totally right. Going yeah. up for me is kind of like the hard work. It's like cathartic and then coming down it's you get that runner's high and and many occasions like either hiking with someone or hiking solo i'll just talk to myself on the way down and to your point walk talk through a problem like what do i want here and what is the outcome and just it can be just a time to yourself to think about what you want and where you want to go with it it's really powerful
2: it is it is so so casey can i can i draw a bridge now to um to to comic books in in sci-fi yeah. now
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, sci-fi. So totally. Please. So,
2: so this whole thing that we're talking about right now, like I said, the, the kind of this intrinsic value, right. That comes from doing these repeated, you know, kind of simple tasks and mm-hmm. how your mind clears. Like, and it's funny, I never made this connection before, but it immediately made me think of, um, of Dr. Strange when he mm. is in his early training and the master right, keeps on, he, he, he has to keep on building that, that wall building that wall up with all right. of the, the big, the big blocks. And then the master comes at the end of the day and just, right. They're just all, you know, um, scattered again. And he has to keep coming back and doing that and doing keep that. doing it. Yeah. Right. And I think yeah. it's because it, right. It, it clears the mind. It gets the clutter, it gets the self-importance, you know, out, and it just like your mind finally, finally gets, gets clear.
1: Yeah, you know, there's, there's, yeah, that clearing can be powerful too. I think that's what happens when I'm going up. Cause I don't have any, I can't, I can't think about work or this. It's like, I'm just focused or even coming down sometimes and tricky parts, you have to pay attention or you're going to trip over yourself. So you don't really have time unless you, you know, you're very intentional right. with, okay, I can think, but I got to be careful cause I don't want to trip. Yeah. You, you don't have the distractions don't come in. The phone probably doesn't work and yeah. you, know, you have to focus on, for particular parts, just what you're doing, not anything else. And that clears that head for you to be able to be, you know, reasonable when you think about a topic. Yeah.
2: So, the, so there's a term for this that oh, yeah. I learned and, it, and it's called flow. Uh, I, 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 you know, it was, I don't know, it was coined by some European, you know, psychologist slash uh, something like that. And yeah, it's about like how you tap into your flow. And, you know, you're giving a great, you know, we're both talking about different examples of it, but it's that it's that moment when everything just becomes more clear and you feel energized and you feel like yeah. your thinking just, you know, is, is at its best. And, you know, another good friend of mine is a pilot, you know, recreational pilot. And for him, you know, his mind is always going a zillion miles an hour. And that's the right. only time he can force his mind to slow down. Because he has to, again, right, it's, he has to be so methodical about all of his, you know, safety checks and discipline. Right. And, that's the, and he loves it because it forces his mind to block everything out. So I just think all of us, right, we, whether it's going to be hiking, flying, whatever it is, or, you know, building up, you know, um, metaphorical, you know, brick walls, you know, it's what can we do to tap into that flow and make right. sure that we're always getting that, that perspective and that sense of renewal from it.
1: It's so powerful and, and I don't think we talk enough about it, but I think it's one of those things where you need to spend more of your, like the advice I would have given myself in the old days was like spending more time where your passion intersects, you know, your purpose and being more in that flow state, like but seek it out. And if you, if you're not there, then that's a lot of times for me, the universe was saying like, nope, you're not really in your thing. So bad things are going to happen and you're not going to succeed there until, oh, now you're in the sweet spot. Now it's clicking but it doesn't click until you, you know, until you find that area. And so I would kind of direct myself over there to do more of that. Yeah. Um, do you have a, if I were to say like favorite sci-fi, cause we all even connected because I saw sci-fi on there. I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Even if yeah. we don't talk any marketing, we'll talk. Do you have like a favorite sci-fi book or series?
2: Oh gosh. Well, yeah. So first of all, like I said, um, I get, I get various invites to do things and I have never made the time to do a podcast. Oh yeah. And the only reason why, right, we're doing this is because you promised me that we could talk about sci-fi. Yes. So, uh, yeah, God, I love, I, so first of all, I love reading, um, in, and I could actually make a, a strong connection, I think, to even the world of marketing, you know, that one of the reasons why I love science fiction, especially, is because it gets your mind to accept that there could be these alternate truths. Yeah. And. You know to explore you know quote unquote humanity to explore you know ethics you know oftentimes in a in a time or world that is not you know present day in, in the world in which we live, and if you can wrap your mind around that like i said i think I think that's a great way to kind of shape our gray matter to um, to put yourself in in someone else's shoes again you know so making it Making us more effective as marketing professionals. So I don't know. Some people might hear that and think that that's quite a reach, but uh, I, I I do. Like I mean, it. and then the second thing I think is fascinating about sci-fi is that, oh god, I love it. You know, they always think big. Like you don't have a science fiction writer that you know is putting forward this you know central hypothesis that's like, okay, yeah, wow, the world is so dramatically different. You know that. You know, now, instead of the phone being this big, it's this big. Wow. Isn't this right. revolutionary? Let's write a whole story about it.
1: Oh, there's no, two like, more gigabytes in your phone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> by its very nature, the speculative fiction,
1: Yeah.
2: you know, it, it's making these big, these big leaps about what's possible. And I mean, gosh, you know, I, I won't say that science fiction has been right more than it's been wrong, but I think it's been right, you know, um, uh, you know, a, a scary amount of the time of of predicting the way that you know not just technology, but you know politics and society uh, are changing. So, I, I've I think probably the first I don't know which one came first, but I really started falling in love with science fiction. I'd say in my college days, okay. and the first two books that I remember really loving are uh, Dune and oh, yeah. and
1: Ender's Game. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah, totally. so those, those, and those are still two books that I recommend as well to people who are like, uh, oh, sci-fi, you know, and they kind of, you know, tip their, you know, put their noses up at it and you cannot read Dune and not just be blown away, right. With the complexity of, you know, the mind that could create this whole political system, this whole, um, ecosystem in the true sense of biological ecosystem, yeah. even, right. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, so I, I, I remember those being the two first books that I really, I really loved and just opened up my mind to, you know, the, the value of science fiction.
1: You know, Ender's Game is, I mean, and the, the movie came out. Did you see the movie?
2: I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Same thing, right? I, I, I,
2: I, I, did I see like
1: five minutes of it and I was like, Oh, okay. You know, Yeah. But it, those can usually make me mad because it was such a powerful book and like the way you, you can't, you really, to be fair, I mean, unless you do like a game of Thrones multi, you know, season replay, you can't really encapsulate. It was a really powerful book. And, and for kids, it was kids, you know, like playing, and yeah. learning. And it, you know what, honestly, it was like Hogwarts in the sky. It was okay. like a school, they're training, but it was like, there's it, it good yeah. and bad. And it was very interesting.
2: My So my recollection, you know, especially about Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card, and, and I think he does this in more of his work as well, what I love about it, too, and I think you're able to do it, again, because it's this alternate universe from our own, where, you know, I think he does a great job of presenting these ethical dilemmas,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, with the full richness of, of the complexity and he, without being preachy about it. Right. You know, like this whole thing that Ender goes through about, you know, um, wiping out this alien population. And, you know, it kind of gives you a balanced view of, you know, hey, this is what we didn't know at the time we made the decision. And, you know, like where I think if you did that in even just a work of fiction that was set in contemporary, you know, our real life today in our real world, you know, then all of a sudden people's political views come into things and you associate it with, you know, so there's just, right science fiction is one of those places where you can really explore i think some of those you know right and wrong and some of those ethics and make up your own mind in the purest sense if you will without without muddying it up with what it means today
1: right without the tribalism or polarization it's just it poses the dilemma the question you know is this right and and it's not all also not like a easy black and white answer like maybe star wars is Kind of like, oh, bad guy's black, good guy's white. And then like, oh, you battle each other, you know, but stormtroopers are white too. So I guess that doesn't fit. But, you know, like, you're like, oh, clearly you want these guys to win. Clearly those guys don't win. But in some cases, you're like, ah, is it ever really that clear um, on who should win? Even the main character, you know, who should they win or not, for sure.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And your question around shows, um, let's see, I mean couple of recent ones that I really enjoyed um Altered Carbon.
1: Oh and, yeah. Isn't that that's right? a show, right? I'm like yeah, Netflix, on or, Netflix. Yeah. Or uh Amazon, I think.
2: Um I think this one this one's Netflix, Altered oh, okay. Carbon. Yeah. And yeah, I good. I yo, know, it's so good, right? And again like it, it it builds upon, you know, something that we're all talking about, you know, about this, you know, the dividing gap between the has and have nots and and it really poses that question, well, what happens if we don't die, right? Of course, yeah. that's going to get worse. And this is what that could potentially look like. I love that. Um, I like uh, The Expanse a lot, yep. too. Did that's, you read the book like, for that? Um, I did not, know, And I'm so glad because like, I get to go back now and experience it see the book. So yeah. That's on my list. The
1: book's really good. Yeah. yeah. Books really and then I
2: guess my ultimate favorite probably is, I don't know, and maybe a little bit of a guilty pleasure, but would be Battlestar Galactica.
1: The TV show? Well,
2: yeah. And the the like, modern right. one,
1: right? The modern one, yeah. It's the best series ever, honestly. I love it. I it love really it. is. I, I just heard a podcast someone talking about like how it's like very underrated. It's yeah. very good.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. I actually thought that the final episode, again, and I won't make a spoiler alert, right. but I thought that it was done it was done really well and just kind of wrapped things up nicely with a nice little poom surprise. Yeah, too. a little like
1: oh no, you didn't. Do uh, you, you remember at the, uh, toward the end when the captain was, he was like, there's this book. Yeah, Someone was sick and I've read this book a thousand times, but I've never read the ending because I don't want it to end because I don't mm. want there to be an end. I did the same thing with that show. So I yeah. watched Battlestar Galactica, but I never watched the the finale, the final two episodes so that it wouldn't end until, you know, months later. I was like, okay, time to watch it. But I was like, no, 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 I don't want to know. I, I let that world continue to exist. Um, I did the same thing with that. That's a fantastic show. Have you, have you read the book, uh, the three body problem? Oh
2: no, I haven't. I haven't even heard of it.
1: Okay. Yeah. I can, I can send you a copy of this. This is fantastic. Three body problem. It's the number one, uh, sci-fi fiction book from China translated. Wow. In English. And it's Love the it. idea that when there's bodies in orbit, like in space, when you have, you know, a, a one sun and planets going around it it's predictable you can predict it when you have two bodies like maybe two suns and you have things going around it, you computers can predict it but when you have three bodies like three suns in a, in a in a system it it creates something that you cannot you cannot predict what ah, will happen and love there's it. but it's like like alien and all all this stuff but it's very mind blowing um and it's like if you could send, if you could contact someone else, and then the idea of, um, you know, if the universe is a scary jungle, and, you know, why are not more people visible to us? Well, maybe they're trying to hide because the people that that walk through the jungle with a torch, now everyone goes after them. So it's like very, I don't even, I can't even describe it, but um, very good. And it's actually a trilogy. Um, Love it. Fantastic. So I'll shoot you a link on that one, and the other one. Uh, we are legion. Um, we are Bob. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. We are Bob. We are Bob. Um, okay. yeah, I can't, I don't even want to give anything away, but it's like, <laughs> that is my absolute favorite book. Three buddy problem gets a little dark. So you like need to get through it to get out of it. Um, okay. but then we are Bob. Um, uh, it's the Bobaverse. There's three books in the Bobaverse and it is. Who, who wrote it? Oh God. Who wrote this thing? Um, Maybe I should have him on the podcast. Uh we are Legion. We are Bob. Uh, Dennis Taylor. That's right. Okay. Dennis Taylor. Um amazing. I've I've actually listened to that on Audible. Son, um, do you do any audible? Do you
2: I do, yeah. I find it's a great way to to. I would do this Bobiverse
1: one on there. Okay. I did um Three Body Problem on, on there as well. And that was that okay. was pretty cool too. Um but the the Bobiverse, uh I've listened to it and you know, it's three three, three full books, you know, four plus hours each, 10 plus. I've listened to it probably like four or five times because I love the universe it's in. And I, I just want to be there with, uh, with them. It's very interesting.
2: Oh, I look forward to that. Okay. So I will give you one. Um, and it's, yeah. and it's fun cause it's lighter. Uh, and it's just, it's kind of laugh out loud. Um, John Scalzi's the collapsing empire. It, and again, it's, it's an, it's, it's a trilogy as well. Okay. And uh yeah, and it's just it is. It's I won't say that it's like the best science fiction, but it is it's a good solid story, fun characters, and it is just laugh out loud, funny.
1: Okay, perfect. I will definitely get that one. Did you ever read Ready Player One?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, did you did you do the Audible by the way? Or did you
2: I read that one, I believe. Okay.
1: Will Wheaton narrates the Audible one.
2: Yeah. He does a fantastic
1: job of it. Yeah. I, I really loved that book. Um, I was browsing Audible and this one had like, you know, you had like 2,000 reviews this one had like 15,000. I was like, what happened, what's happening right here? So, but yeah, um, it was a fantastic book. And so, okay. So fantastic book. Um, but the movie was terrible. I don't know if you saw yeah, the movie.
2: I did. Actually, I'm not even sure that I finished it. I, I did I try didn't. watching it.
1: Yeah. I got 10 okay. minutes when I saw that they Used a car scene in a book that definitely did not have a car scene in it. Right. I was like, okay, trope or like it's now it's like yep. a Hollywood, you know, formula. I'm out. Yeah. Because that first key was really hard to get, and that was the yeah. Nobody had gotten it. There's right. a reason he got it. It wasn't that he just backed up in a car race. You know, right. it wasn't like ooh, so easy. So I, I didn't make it through the movie, but the book was great. So
2: yeah, like I said, I love all the '80s references since that's you know I, I grew oh. up. In that, yes, as
1: well. yeah, everywhere. Yeah, Whole that's of a, lot of, that's a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to go listen to that again. I need, I need a road trip so I can go, I, I need a right. reason to get out of the house to go do these things. So, um, well, th- hey, this has been great. This, I, I've got some homework, you've got some homework. We'll have to, you know, do, read our books and then report back. Have you come back on the podcast and learn some more masterclass marketing and then also talk more sci fi? This has been fantastic. Where can people connect with you? Where do you want them to Sure.
2: Reach out? Um on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh H Cerides, um H, you know, my then just my last name. So yeah, happy, happy to connect with anyone uh, from there. And again, Casey, like I said, thanks so much for having me on and for allowing us to to jam out about, you know, geeky sci-fi stuff. And and also I'd be amiss if I didn't say thank you very much for your uh, prior years of service.
1: Oh all well, yeah, thank that, you everyone. Yeah, thank you for the thank you. It's always appreciated. There's stories there too. We'll have to get to that one in the next podcast. Um, For those people listening, if you've learned something, and I freaking know you did because I've run out of paper. I have two pages of notes over here front and back. I just gave up on margins. And I was like, I'm just going to write sideways. But um, if you've learned something, share this episode with someone else. That's how you're a thought leader. But don't just share it. Put some takeaways that you got out of this thing. We were talking about upskilling, storytelling, the three ingredients, the data integrity, the project accounting second level, cross-functional aligned goals. There's so many great takeaways. Put those in LinkedIn, share it, tag myself, tag Holly. We'll we'll join you in a conversation there. And again, Holly, thank you again for coming on here. This is a blast.
2: Oh, it was a pleasure. Like I said, I think you and I could have, could have chatted for a long time, Casey. So thank you so much.
1: I think so. Part two will be all sci-fi.
2: <laughs> okay, I love it. Good. That's a promise I'm going to hold you to.
1: That's perfect. For those people listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.